Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. My name is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for jumping into this friendship series, Building Quality Relationships. This is a seven-part series that I trust that will benefit you while envisioning, equipping, and establishing quality relationships. We here at Life Over Coffee exist to bring hope and help to you and others by creating resources that spark conversations for transformation. And I hope you have many conversations about how to build quality relationships. And I trust that this seven-part series What we're calling the Friendship Series will be instrumental in helping you to establish those relationships within your sphere. And so let's take a look at the Friendship Series, Building Quality Relationships, and this is lesson number one. It is knowing and loving God. Now, I have a key verse that I will use throughout all seven uh, webinars that I'm building for you. It is 1 John 4:12, and this is what John said. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so here is the big idea for lesson number one, knowing and loving God. The triune God is the foundation of all godly relationships. Loving and glorifying God necessarily leads to loving others. And that makes sense. If you want to build horizontally these quality relationships with other people, well, that is not our starting point. We want to begin vertically with our relationship with God understanding him, knowing him, loving him, and then out of that, we learn how to love others. Let's take a look at the outline. Point number one, what is koinonia? Number two, God, unity, and koinonia. Number three, we need God. And then, of course, that leads to a question, point number four, must you know God? in order to have community or koinonia, point number five, creating koinonia, and then finally number six, five keys to koinonia. Let's start with point number one, what is koinonia? Koinonia is a Greek word. Here are some synonyms that you see on your screen here, communication, fellowship, participation, and community. Fellowship is an interesting word. I come from a Baptist background, and a good Baptist always has a fellowship hall on their church property, and typically a fellowship hall means a place where you go and eat yourself into a food coma. Well, eating with friends is fine, but that is not the most technical definition of the word fellowship. It is koinonia. It is a deeper relationship than just eating. It can include eating, but it is much deeper than that. The word participation, as you see here, is in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talked about participating in the Spirit. You see the engagement. We are in the Spirit. We are in the body of Christ. We are participating. You see the deeper technical meaning of the word koinonia. And, of course, community. That leads us to, well, the first divine, the eternal community, God himself. The Trinity, as we understand, the Father, Son, and Spirit. God is a community. 
and he made us in his image. And so there is a communal aspect to our lives. You hear this in the language in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18, where it is not good for a man to be alone. Well, part of why it's not good for a man to be alone is because man cannot image God in his fullness if he is by himself. And so it is implied that made in the image of God, that there is a communal aspect to our lives. So if you want to image God well, you want to live in community. And of course, in a community, there is a subject and an object. You hear this in John 3.16, for example, for God so loved the world. Let's take the word love. It is a communicable attribute. A communicable attribute is something that God has communicated or given to us. There are many communicable attributes. There are many things about God that we possess. An incommunicable attribute, for example, would be things that God did not give to us. For example, God is omnipotent, all-powerful. Well, we are not. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. Well, we are not omnipresent. Those are incommunicable attributes. But there are aspects about God's character, attributes that are communicated to us, and one of those is love. And so if we want to image God, then we need someone to image God with. Therefore, you have this subject and object. Going back to Genesis 2.18, It's hard for us as fallen creatures to think about this text because we live on the fallen side of Genesis 3.6. At Genesis 3.6, humanity fell into sin. Therefore, it obscures or blurs everything that we know about God and know about ourselves and each other. And it's hard for us to suspend our reality and look on the other side of Genesis 3.6, chapters 1 and 2, where there was no sin whatsoever. And so we could read a verse like Genesis 2.18, and we could think, well, Adam was a empty love cup, and he had a need, and and so God needed to give him companionship because there were deeper longings in Adam. Well, that's not what the text says. Adam lived in a perfect environment, and he was content. It was God who said it's not good for man to be alone because there were objectives that man could not accomplish without having another person, someone who mirrored him. One of those objectives is Adam could not image God well. He could not have koinonia, live in community, because there was no one to live in community with. Now, one of the things that we want to guard against is the direction of this communicable attribute, love. What I mean by that is love is always moving from us and toward another person. That is the right direction of love. This is how we fulfill the two great commandments of loving God and loving others more than ourselves. You see the direction of love going from ourselves 
to the object of our love. Again, you hear this in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. The direction of the love goes from the subject God to the object the world. What happens in a fallen world for those, all of us, we live on the sin side of Genesis 3.6. What happens to us is that we invert love. We not only are the subject of our love, but we become the objects as well. For I so love me, and so the love goes from me and back to me. That is narcissism, and it really just implodes the soul because that is not how love is supposed to operate in our lives. And so if we are imaging God well and building koinonia, living in community with others, if we are participating in fellowship with others, well, one of the communicable attributes that will allow us to accomplish that is to imitate God by loving others well. And again, we see this in the Trinity, the community of God, and we want to mirror that in our lives. And so God, unity, and koinonia You cannot have unity without God because he is the first unified community from which all biblical unity connects. The Trinity is the core. The Trinity is the context for all biblical unity. And so we are not the source of this love. And that's why when you talk about building relationships with other people within the Christian economy, the source of this love comes from God. It is communicated to us from God. It is purified by God. And so knowing and loving God is the trailhead that will begin a process of building proper relationships with other people. If someone tried to build a relationship with another individual without being sourced in God, without being connected in God, then that will be a man-centered love. It is not sustainable, and the chances of that love getting twisted and being perverted is, is really high, and we see that in our relationships. As a matter of fact, any relationship that goes to bad places is a relationship that is not being fueled, sourced, and empowered by God. And so if you want unity, you can't have unity without God because he is the first unified community from which all biblical unity connects. The Trinity is the core and the context of biblical unity. However, because of the fall, disunity came. Now man becomes the center of love. Man becomes the center of building relationships. And this is a a sober call for us. We want to focus on the most effective ways to combat disunity. And so I want to talk about five distinct relational spheres where we can bring community. And it's important that we understand that all relationships are not equal. And so if you want to build unified relationships, you have to have a methodology. You have to have a way of thinking about these relationships because, again, everyone is not the same. We can't build relationally with everyone.
everyone the same way. One of the ways that I like to think about this is how Jesus developed his relationships as you look at his daytimer in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus' primary relationship was with his Father, and that is significant, and that is something that we want to imitate in our lives. And so we want to begin building relationally with other people by knowing and loving God first of all. And so we want to make sure God has primacy in our hearts and in our lives, practically speaking. And so what I'm building here, as you see on the screen, I call it a a friendship or relationship map. And this is what I mean by all relationships are not created equally, and you must treat people differently. And as we move through this seven-part series, I will speak into some very technical matters of why you want to do this, because you don't want to have everyone as your most intimate friendship, because that could be dangerous, hurtful, and harmful to you and also to them. And so we want to be wise when we're building relationships, and our primary relationship is our friendship with God. So as you look at Jesus' daytimer, he had a close network of friends, three of them, as you look at the amount of time that he spent with them. That's Peter, James, and John. He gave them more of his time. Now, if you are married, and I'm using this as an illustration, then Obviously, your most intimate human relationship should be your spouse. For those of you who are participating in this friendship series who are not married, well, I'm so glad that you are here, and what I would appeal to you to do is to substitute this spouse with some other intimate friend. Uh, Someone of the same gender would be preferable because of the intimacy that's involved in building these kind of close-knitted relational uh, relationships with other people. Now, perhaps this could be a sibling. It could also be a parent as well or a close friend, someone that you know. For those of us who married, our most intimate relationship should be with our spouses. And then the next circle outside of that is we see with Jesus. He built relationships with the the nine apostles. For us, it could be if you have children, your children would be next in line as far as this intimacy circle. They would not know as much, experience as much as your spouse. And so it is common sense that you would build relationally with them, but not to the degree or the depth that you would with your spouse, and then, of course, not to the degree or depth that you would with God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 13, it says that all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. So obviously God would have more inside information and more intimacy with us than any other person, and that's why you see the degrees in which you build relationships with people. Jesus also had Mary and Martha and Nicodemus and many other friends, but yet they were not as intimate as the nine apostles or Peter, James, and John. And so what I've put here are friends. In this case, if you're married with children, it would be friends outside of those two primary relationships. And then you would see the multitudes where he spent a lot of time, but again, not at an intimate level as these other network of friendships. 
this could be our church. The greater body that you attend, the local assembly that you attend, of course, inside of that church, because you can't build equally and relationally with everybody inside that church. Therefore, you will have friends inside of your local church that you build more deeply with. And then there's a final circle. I said that there are five primary uh, relationships that you would have. These are the five that you have on the screen. Well, there will be other people who do not know the Lord. They are the non-redeemed. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But you cannot build relationally with them as far as koinonia is concerned. You can know them. You can befriend them. You can serve them. You can evangelize them. You can help them. You can go to the ball game with them. But you will not have the depth of relationship with them because uh, they are not spiritually quickened. They are not made alive by God. And again, I'll get to that in just a moment. If you would like to download a version of the graphic that I just showed you, you can put your phone over the QR code that you see on the screen, and that will take you right to the graphic that you see, and you can download it, use it, and share it with your friends. Now let's talk about our need for God. In order to build these kinds of relationships, as I was just suggesting by talking about those folks who don't know the Lord. The Bible talks about us as being futile and dead, and we need God to make us alive. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that we are futile and that we are dead, and we need God to make us alive. For example, in Ephesians 4.17, it uses that very word, that we are futile, we have darkened minds. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And therefore, in order to be sourced in koinonia from God, then we have to know him because he is the trailhead that starts a different kind of life. We need to be made alive. And so at regeneration, the Lord brings us into the body of Christ, a spiritual community. Which leads to the question, what if someone does not know God? Well, you can only live in partial koinonia with that person. You can know them as a fellow image bearer, but they are not spiritually alive. Many of you have had that experience where you were talking to someone and you can only go so far in that relationship because it is oil and water. It is light and darkness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14, Paul talked about things that are spiritually discerned and how the naturally minded person doesn't get it. Because if you're going to participate in the spirit and enjoy koinonia, well, you have to be made alive in God. Now, as far as those relationships are concerned, we can respect those people who are not born again. We can speak well to them. We can speak well of them. James talks about this in 3.9, where he talks about people who, who bless God and curse humanity, who are made in the image of God. And so even though you cannot have an in-depth, koinonia-type relationship with an unbeliever because of their dark and futile mind, 
we do want to make sure that we speak well of them, that we respect them. We do all we can to serve them and, of course, evangelizing them, too, because they also are made in the image of God. And so we can emulate Christ to them. We can share Christ with them. We can get along with them. But there is always going to be a missing depth. Let's talk about creating koinonia. What does it mean to create community, fellowship, participation with another human being? Well, part of what that means is is that we have to share all the aspects of our lives. I'm going to dichotomize that and say we need to share both aspects of our lives to simplify it. What do I mean by that? It means that there are, are good things that are going on in our lives where we are appropriating the grace of God, where God is actively operative working in our lives and we are being renewed day by day, and that is fantastic. Well, we are not perfect yet. In fact, we will not be perfect in this life. There will be a time of glorification after God takes us home, and so the implication is clear. There are some areas in our life that we have yet to appropriate God's grace, or as some would say, he's still working on me. And so every human has two aspects to their lives. There are good things where grace is operative there are not-so-great things where grace needs to be operative. And by the way, uh, there will be those struggles that will happen all along the way that we just will not be able to overcome. Some of you have those struggles in your life. You struggle with fear, for example, or anxiety or worry. Some people just have deep patterns of anger in their lives that they are, they are working to get rid of, but it is a lifelong habituation. We're all imperfect, and so we want to be honest about who we are with certain people in our lives, which gets back to the friendship map that I showed you earlier. Everybody cannot have that intimate space with you. Everybody cannot know you the way that your deepest relationships will know you because there are trust factors involved. There is the ability to steward the bad things that we know about ourselves, and that's why our friendships are not all equal. That's why we think about them, as I laid out for you earlier in that friendship map. I use the acronym FINE. Uh, someone shared this with me many years ago, and he said that, you know, when you meet someone in the church building, for example, on Sunday morning, and you say, how are you doing? And they say, I am fine. He said FINE is an acronym, F-I-N-E. It means feelings inside never expressed. And that becomes our go-to response when we interact with people, and it, it can become so habitualized that it's normalized, and we just accept that as, well, he is doing fine, and we move on to the next person. Well, I trust that with a few of your friends that you want to go a little deeper than this superficial response to how are you doing? Fine. Because in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, they put on fig leaves because they were covering the shame and the guilt and the fear that they were experiencing. 
And we all struggle that way. All of us, to varying degrees, carry traces of shame and guilt and fear in our lives. We, we cover ourselves in fig leaves. You could think of it this way as we go to our church meetings on Sunday morning at our church buildings. We can walk in masks hiding behind fig leaves. And when someone asks you, how are you doing? We just say, fine. The feelings inside are never expressed. Or if we say anything, we talk about the good things that are going on in our lives while neglecting or changing the conversation so we do not have uh, to get into an in-depth conversation with someone that we should be building a relationship with. I call this our representative. Our representative is that person, a carefully edited individual, us, we carefully edit ourselves and present ourselves into the public space, hoping that people will find our representative as more acceptable than the real people that we know ourselves to be. Somehow we have to cross this bridge with a few people to let them know there are parts of our lives where we're not appropriating the grace of God and we need to build a deeper relationship with. Let me illustrate it this way, to have koinonia. Well, we want to start with Christ, our union with him. Therefore, if you want to build fellowship, participate with other people. The first thing that we have to do is to get in Christ because we are darkened, we are alienated outside of Christ, and because God is the source of all community, we have to be born again. We have to be regenerated. And once we are in Christ, we can now build true koinonia with another human being. I want to illustrate it this way. Koinonia happens when two or more people are sharing their fullest possible experience of God with each other. Let's illustrate what true community looks like. We start with the Trinity, as I've been saying throughout, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, here you are. You have a relationship with God. As I said, there are two parts of that relationship. There are areas where you are appropriating the grace of God and areas where, well, he's still working on you. Now, you want to build a relationship with another human being. Well, they, too, have been born again. They are in Christ, and they, too, have a positive and a negative relationship with God. If you want to have true community with them, this intimate relationship, then you want to be sharing at the most intimate level. Not just sharing all the great things that God is doing in and for and to you, but you want to slowly incremental incrementally build relationally with a few people not everyone and you do that by sharing areas of your life where you need to grow when two people are sharing their fullest possible experience of god with each other then they're not only knowing and loving god but they're experiencing God with each other. It is the deepest form of relationship we call koinonia. If you would like to download the graphic that I just walked through, then uh, again, you can put your phone on the QR code right here. You can stop the video if you please, and then you can download it so that you can have this graphic and share it with your friends. Let's talk about five keys to koinonia.
Number one, koinonia, true community, means sharing your life, the good and bad, with another person while guided by the Spirit of God, always sourced in God. Koinonia is one of the many gifts from the Spirit of God. Paul uh, uh, Paul thought about it this way. This is the verse that I mentioned earlier in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4, he says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there's any participation, there it is, in the Spirit, if there's any affection, if there's any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. You, you see the unity here. If, you, if there's any encouragement, comfort, participation, affection, and sympathy. If those things are present, then you are completing the joy because you have the same mind, you have the same love, you're being in uh, full accord, you're being in one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You see the direction of love here, going from you to others. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And so koinonia, true community, means sharing your life, the good and bad, with another person while guided by the Spirit of God. Koinonia is one of the many gifts of the Spirit, as Paul talked about there in Philippians 2. Would you like to have Paul's kind of joy-filled unity? As you saw in that text, he provided five keys that could lead to joy-filled unity with others if practically and adequately applied. In Philippians 2.1, it was Paul's pastoral and poetic way of saying these things should be how we interact with others. Let's take a look at five keys to koinonia. They begin with a conditional statement. If these things characterize your interaction with others, you can experience relational joy. If you are an encourager, you can have joy-filled unity. If you are a comforter, you can have joy-filled unity. If you are a participator with others, you can have joy-filled unity. If you have genuine affection for others, you can have joy-filled unity. And then number five, as we see in the text, if you have genuine sympathy for others, you can have joy-filled unity. Now, what I would like for you to do, this is your homework assignment. I'm going to ask you some questions in just a moment, and I would love for you to spend some time working through these questions in lesson number one before you move on to the other six lessons in this friendship series. And so let me ask the questions, and what I would like for you to do is to talk to a, a close friend as you wrestle with these questions. And Ask them to help you to examine the value that you place on biblical unity. And so here's question number one. Are you characterized as an encourager? And so as you go back to that friendship map that I was showing you earlier, whoever that most intimate person is, outside of God, obviously, God is the most intimate relationship that you have. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom you give an account. But then right outside of that, your first human relationship, if you're married, I trust it's your spouse. If you're not married, who is that parent? Who is that sibling? Who is that friend? Would you get together with that person and talk through this question? Now, first of all, I would love for you just 
to write out your answer. Now, I realize the question is closed-ended. Are you characterized as an encourager? You could say yes or no, but I would love for you to extrapolate by giving illustrations or talk about why you are or aren't, what motivates you uh, to be an encourager or not, how adept you are at identifying evidences of grace in another individual's life. Would other people, would your friend who knows you better than others, would they characterize you as an encourager? Paul says, if there is any encouragement, and then he says, if there is any comfort. Do you regularly seek to comfort others? Is the direction of your love moving from subject to object? You are the subject, and there are people that you are seeking to comfort. What is the direction of your love, one? And then number two, does your love consist of seeking to comfort others? Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians with how you have been comforted by God. You want to go, and you want to comfort others. Will you? ask your friend. After you answer the question, perhaps giving illustrations of how you seek to comfort others would be great on this question. Number three, are you a persistent participator in the lives of others? You can do many things by yourself, but sanctification is not one of them. Later on in this series, I'll talk about the one another's. There's over 31 another's in the New Testament. You cannot live for God in an authentic, genuine way outside of being communal because you're not imaging God effectively by building relationships. We must be participating in the lives of other people. How would you describe your participation in the lives of others? And again, this would be a great question to ask at least one close friend. Number four, do you have authentic affection for other people? I talked earlier about James chapter 3, verse number 9, about unbelievers. And one of the things I was suggesting there is that we should respect folks who do not know the Lord, folks who are not in union with us, with Christ. We should have a respect for them because they were made in the image of God. Even on that most fundamental level, there should be some affection for other people, even if that affection looks like pity toward them because of their lost, unregenerate condition. This is something that I don't see among even the Christian community is having affection for people. Paul had affection for the Corinthian people, even though they were mean as snakes. And so this is something that many of us have to work at, having genuine, authentic affection for other people. Well, it begins, one, by knowing and loving God. If we are sourced in God and being empowered by God and being illuminated by the Spirit of God, if we understand what God has done for us. As he said in Matthew 18 about the man who had been forgiven this great debt, could you not have mercy on him as I have had mercy on you? The more we understand and benefit from our relationship with God, the more we're likely to have affection for other people even if it's on that most base level, of just having affection for them as a fellow 
image bearer. That doesn't mean that you agree with all of their actions, but having affection is essential if you have any intent on building relationship with another person. And so Paul is saying in Philippians 2, if there is any affection, if you don't have affection, there will not be unity, biblical unity, and of course there will not be koinonia. And then question number five, are you sympathetic toward the needs of others? Do we care about, so we not only have affection for them, but we're sympathetic toward their needs, which means that we have the courage to step into their space and even do hard things for them. Sympathetic here is not a gushy kind of love. Sometimes love has courage. Love is a backbone. Jesus was so sympathetic for the rich young ruler, he said a hard thing to that person because the rich young man had many possessions, and he was uh, incarcerated by those possessions. But the love of Christ was not this squishy, gushy love that we see in our culture. It was sympathetic love, meaning there were threads of courage in that love. We see it also with Paul's sympathy toward the Corinthians. He used very strong language in correcting them. And I do want to say this because sometimes people will think about or talk about loving others, and they've been so inculcated by the culture that they see love in a a non-biblical way. Love is never without compassion, but biblical love is also not without courage. And so courage and compassion balance each other out in this word, sympathy. And so the question is, are you sympathetic toward the needs of others? Now, what I want you to do as I wrap up this first lesson I would like for you to take these questions. They're closed-ended, but I want you to extrapolate them. Do some homework, and then take these questions to a friend, an intimate friend, and ask them to speak into your life. And how do they see you? How do they assess you? And release them to be honest with you, not to rubber stamp you, because, again, you want to grow deeper in knowing and loving God, because as we move through these lessons, you also want to grow deeper in knowing and loving others, but we can only do that as we are connected to our source, the Trinity, and that is the big idea of this lesson. The triune God is the foundation of all godly relationships. Loving and glorifying God necessarily leads to loving others. Before I wrap up here, I would ask you, If you would uh, pray for our ministry, Life Over Coffee, if you would follow us on uh, any of the social media platforms, you might be amazed at the number of people that we reach every day, every week, as we use technology redemptively. And so if you follow us on these platforms, share our content. Go to lifeovercoffee.com. Grab an article. Share it with a friend. Let people know about this friendship series And then for those of you who are able to underwrite our ministry because we give most all of our resources away, if you can support or donate, that would be great. Also, we have a mastermind program. It is an all-online training course, and if you would like to be trained in all things discipleship, 
or biblical counseling. This is what we do. And so we have a small group of students that uh, we would love for you to be our next one. And you can put your phone over the QR code here, and it will it will walk you through what the Mastermind program is and answer virtually every one of your questions. And, of course, you can reach out to us if you have additional ones. This is lesson number one, Knowing and Loving God, the Friendship Series, Building Quality Relationships. Thank you so much for watching. I am Rick Thomas. Please come over to our Sanctification Center in cyberspace, lifeovercoffee.com. Let's have conversations for transformation. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.